0: on smith and jones eric smith paul jones with you subscribe to smith and jones wherever you get your podcast rate and review as well jonesy uh, we can kind of put a bow on the conversation i suppose about the uh, greatest shooters because we did all joking aside um we were going to go top five but we threw out so many names between uh well I, I i didn't do as many as you and al but between the three of us we i think we just reeled off at least 50 names over the last 10 minutes or so uh so there's no chance that you know like, Listen, I, the top three on my list were obvious with Steph Curry, Ray Allen, and I had Larry Bird just slightly ahead of Klay Thompson. But every other name on the list, and you kept throwing them out, and, and with due respect, yeah, as you said, you got a little more vintage in you, so you've got you know a, a little tip of the cap to uh, some, of the, uh, some of the older guys as well. Um, I can't imagine there's a name that we, that we didn't mention. Um, I was even just scanning the list of here, – here's, here's one thing. In all our talk, in all of our chatter – did it, again? I'm. I'm. Maybe I'm. Maybe i mis, misheard or, or, or didn't tune in uh, intently enough. Did anybody mention Michael Jordan? I did. You did mention oh, him. Jim.
1: Well, hold on a second. I don't know if I mentioned him, but he's on my list here of the of the five that you wanted from me. I went with Steph, Ray, Clay, Mike, and Dirk.
0: Hmm. So Larry wasn't there.
1: Uh, no but he should have been like yeah. t- t- tell like okay if somebody it's and it's always one of those well if you put that guy on who are you taking off it doesn't matter other than Steph, totally, it doesn't matter totally. right yep. it doesn't yep. matter like or or you 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 say a guy like uh you know like and and i the the you know and i i kind of when you said that to me and i started breaking it down it's like okay there are guys that like reggie miller was a terrific shooter but his form was dreadful, right. flying elbow. It, did, it was all, it's like golf. Like Arnold Palmer had a terrible swing, but man, he was good at the point of contact. Reggie's elbow was flying and it's not like how you would teach the kids. And, but when it was all said and done, he finished with the gooseneck. His elbow was above his eyebrow when he finished and all of the things that you you, you, you teach kids, you know, the first move is up with the elbow, you feel the top of your shoulder, the deltoid muscle. That's the one that... Like, you can break it down. And, and like, I started to think about guys that had pretty form. Like, Alan Houston. Dirk had great form. Did, did we even mention Kevin Durant?
0: I'm not sure if KD got mentioned. Here's another one. I, Jamal Crawford.
1: Jamal Crawford. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there were guys that... You know you go back in the day you'll you'll have to youtube this one some of you folks a guy named Purvis short who developed his jump shot because his coach used to hold a broom and he has to he'd have to shoot it over a sawed off broom when I worked with um uh Bob Hill former coach of Indiana San antonio and uh, like he had this half a broom that and and padding on the end that he would use it to to contest shots with guys when he worked them out. And they say Purvis Short used to do that because of somebody working with him that way. So there were there are there are so many guys, you know. Uh, it's it's uh and I, and what I like to do is we got to do this one day. Get some of the old guys on and hear who they think are some of the great shooters as they look back in time. Like I'd like to talk to Alex English and say, "Alex, give me your top 5 shooters." Right? I'd like yeah. to talk to yeah. You know, I'd like to talk to Ray Allen and say, Ray, who are the top five guys that that you know that you think are the, the greatest, the greatest shooters, the guys that can really shoot it. So um, it's just—it's it's great conversation.
0: I just—I just got more for you, okay? And then and then we got to move on for it because, as Al said, we could just keep yelling out names all day. <laughs> uh, Damian Lillard as a recent yeah. guy, Mike Miller. Oh yeah. Mitch Richmond.
1: Terry you know, Porter Cha- you know Chauncey Billups had great great technique too and made big shots yeah. you know
0: Brent Barry, Mookie Blaylock Jonesy
1: yeah this it's just like guys that could just fill it up you just I, I'll never I'll never forget sitting with Isaiah Thomas and hearing him talk about Mark Price and 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 how Mark Price would just give it to him he's like I'm trying to guard this guy and like You know, he he said at one point, he said, Chuck Daly was like, are you going to guard him? It's like, yeah, Chuck, I'm really trying to leave him open and let him (laughs) kick my butt so I can't use the bathroom for a week. Like, yeah, like, you know, it's I'm I'm letting that happen. And um, I mean, we I had a chance to talk to Mark Price. It was about four or five years ago, Eric. We were in Charlotte and he was a shooting coach with the uh, with the Charlotte Hornets. And the guy had the guy had some like in terms of pretty form and technique mark price clay thompson got to be close to the top of the lists
0: dan marley yeah dennis scott
1: yeah <laughs> just, could we, could, we could we could <laughs> just keep going guys that like i said you start playing that religious defense like oh god don't let that go in like it's my fault i i, I should have been there and yeah I mean, you look at a guy like last night, like Patty Mills. I'm sure some of the Raptors were saying that. Oh, no.
0: Yep, yep. You're, you're bang on. You're bang on. All right, we're going we're gonna to chat with uh, Howard Beck in a couple of moments from Sports Illustrated. Um, but before we get to that, uh, circling back to last night, but it had nothing to do with the Nets and the Raptors. Prior to the game, Steve Nash was asked about the state of the game in Canada. The state of the game, the amount of players in the NBA – uh, the national program, just kind of an all-encompassing look at Canada and basketball in general, and here it is from the mouth of the all-time great in Canada, Steve Nash.
2: Well, it's it's hard to predict the future, but if, if the recent history is predictive, you know, I think the growth is 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 potentially going to continue and and improve. Um, you know, clearly we're we're going through an incredible period, seeing so many Canadians. Um, <clears throat> play at a high level whether it's the you know the incredible numbers of nba players or the type of quality teams and leagues they're playing in in europe or in the ncaa so the you know it's 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 pretty uh drastically stronger than it was when i came into the league and uh i think a lot of the players are still young so there's potential for it to continue to grow now as far as national team success you know that that is something that, you know, can take generations in a sense because it's <clears throat> our, our players really get to play such little international basketball together, especially with the new windows. Um, so it's very hard for them to kind of form those bonds, that continuity, that understanding of what it takes that, you know, Argentina formed or you know our our 2000 olympic team formed um you know that that is the challenge now is how do you get a a core group of guys playing together um you know because our we haven't seen it we haven't had all our top guys available whether it's free agency injuries whatever it may be so it takes time and that's what makes it take more time than perhaps the players and the names on paper would warrant, but overall, it's just been incredible to watch the growth of the game, the excitement, the Raptors being world champs. Uh, you go down the line, the growth of the game has been incredible in Canada.
0: Steve Nash, after the ball game last night, Jonesy, and and yeah, I mean, I, I I think he he paints the picture well. There's there's a lot of talent, there's tons of talent. It's only going to continue to grow, but um you know it's it's going to come down to trying to put it all together at the at the right time and and try and navigate through the ridiculousness of FIBA, and that's something we've touched on a number of times at least on this show
1: yeah um i, I, don't, I don't know what i don't know what got into FIBA to i I understand the concept, but um i, I think it's it's tough because you can't always have i mean everybody's at a disadvantage. A country putting their best team forward, but what I think what this does is really test your depth. Um, maybe they're looking for a way to keep countries like Canada and the U.S. out of it, and Spain, and these people that have lots of NBA players and, and quality players playing in other parts of the world where they they can't get together. I don't know. Maybe FIBA had a, a had a hidden agenda, and there were some hidden hidden motives there. But um, Steve makes a great point. And we've talked to Ron Barrett about it. Uh, the cohesiveness of playing together for your country and guys understanding it and what to do and role definition, it makes a big difference. And that's why I say, you know, you go to the park and you're playing pickup. Yeah, there's five kids on one side that can jump and jam and they're 19 years old and they're full of athleticism but then there's five guys in their early 30s on the other side that really can't jump and 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 don't move like they used to but they think the game and they understand it. I'll take those five old guys if the ability's close.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and listen, you, you might you might be forced to go down that path right now with, with the way that's set up with FIBA. Because the, the five old guys might be the only ones that are available because yeah. the, the younger guys or the new guys aren't even able to play uh, in certain windows. And I'm not necessarily even talking about the young NBA guys, the young guys in general. These windows and – I mean, listen, we were just even talking about uh, uh, a couple of days ago the Edmonton Stingers and the CEBL and playing you know, internationally and, and and coming up with a big win and whatnot. You're playing against teams that are always together – and, and playing year round, year round, and then Canada's got a chance to what? Get a four-day camp, a seven-day camp. They're lucky if they get two weeks together instead of two months or two years. It's, and I, I, I keep coming back to the same thing, and I apologize if it's a if it's a broken record on it. But the fact that it would be good, good for FIBA, I assume good for FIBA yes. to have the stars in the NBA playing in their tournaments and the best countries with the best teams represented helping to promote basketball internationally. The U.S. is going to be there either way, whether they're sending their A team or their F team. Now, they might not win, which has been proven, but they're going to have star talent and notable household names. But if you don't have the top stars from Canada or from Australia or from Spain or whatever because of these goofy windows – then that's bad for the game, and it's bad for FIBA. And I don't understand how or why they don't see that. But maybe I'm wrong.
1: That's that's, that's FIBA. That's FIBA.
0: All right, we're off the rails a little bit because we were talking about NBA, and then somehow (laughs) I got sidetracked on a tangent on FIBA. Uh, Forget FIBA. The NBA and history set last night at MSG. And uh, to talk about Steph Curry and a whole lot more, we'll touch on a number of topics uh, with one of the great senior NBA writer from Sports Illustrated, Howard Beck. Howard, appreciate the time as
3: always. Hey, guys. Good morning.
0: Howard, how special was that last night? To, to I mean, we knew it was coming. It was only a matter of of uh, you know when, not if. Uh, it's been like that for years, I suppose. But for it to finally culminate and come together, on the biggest stage at Madison Square Garden. I mean, it couldn't have been written,
3: probably, the script any better than that. It really couldn't have, and it's funny because, you know, starting a week ago, really, people were looking at the schedule and saying, well, he'd have to get 16 in his last game at Chase Center if they wanted to do it at home. Or, okay, well, let's look at the road games. Oh, Philly, Indiana. Oh, look, New York. He's going to break it in New York. And that was a really easy thing to seize on, as if he was going to manufacture that. But Steph Curry didn't manufacture that. He shot his brains out. Like, you know, like He shot like crazy trying to get the record at home on a night when he would have needed 16, which was insane. But he actually indulged it. He took a ton of threes and couldn't do it. And then he went to Philly, and the Sixers went all out to stop him, and he had a terrible shooting night. And then he tried it in Indy. Like, Steph Curry would have broken this record somewhere else other than New York, other than this historic, poetic, kind of symmetrical in fact uh you know uh, moment it could have happened somewhere else and it's not because he manufactured it it's just because you know he was pressing some and i think the warriors were pressing some and i think you had um just you know teams not wanting to be the ones to allow it and so then he gets to the garden with only two to go and he just seemed so comfortable and so ready for the moment last night um and, yeah, it gets it out of the way really early. And I thought one of the striking things was that there was all this buildup. We knew it was coming. We've known it was coming for you know quite a while, certainly for the last week. But, you know, months, years in the making, and you, you, you kind of know this is coming. And yet when the moment happens, it still is incredibly emotional. And you saw that from, from Steph and from Ray Allen and from his parents and from Draymond especially and Steve Kerr. Um, it was just, it was just really cool uh, and 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 a, a fun night to uh, to be at the Garden.
1: Uh, Howard, the the evolution of the game has really provided Steph with an opportunity now to uh, maybe set this record that nobody will ever touch. I mean, he still has a lot of good basketball in him. The way the game has changed uh, in in terms of. Philosophy, you know, three is better than two, and the analytics and all of those things. Are we looking at? And, and Charles Barkley said it last night on TNT, and I, I really took that to heart. Are we looking at a record that he may set that may never be broken? And, and they went through a bunch of them, you know, the, uh, Cal Ripken in, in baseball, um, you know, that with the consecutive games played, um, uh, the 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 DiMaggio fifty-six game hitting streak. Uh, they're just like, i to personally, I didn't think anybody would ever break Kareem's record, but you know LeBron could be bearing down on it thanks to the three point shot and and you know people want a little a little asterisk beside that, but are we seeing a record here that Steph is going to set because of the ev- evolution of the game that may never be broken?
3: It's quite possible because he he got the record still in his prime i mean and the, and the definition of prime has changed too. It's not just yes. that the game has changed. It's that these guys, I mean, you look at what Steph is doing at, what, 32, 33, and what LeBron is still doing, what Chris Paul is still doing, especially for the greats, they're able to push their primes now in a way that was not possible in previous eras because of increased knowledge about training and nutrition and just more uh, you know attention to their bodies. You know, Steph, aside from that hand injury a couple of years ago, and, of course, the ankle injuries very early in his career, has been pretty healthy, and that's allowed him to, to do a lot of this. And in, in statistically as well, and so here he is. You know, Ray Allen got the record at the end. Reggie got it at you know basically toward the end. Steph has gotten this while he's in the midst of an MVP kind of year, and and he has the benefit of being one who who came up in an era where the three is a weapon and not a measure of last resort or a specialty. So. All of that goes in his favor, but also going in his favor, and I underscored this in the story that I did uh, for Sports Illustrated, and, and I, I want to state this as many times as I possibly can to people. I understand that, that, yes, Steph gets to shoot more than Ray Allen or Reggie Miller or Dale Ellis or anybody else did who were previous really great three-point shooters, but he shoots 43% for his career from three. Ray Allen only shot 40%, and Reggie only shot 395 Only as in quote marks or something. <laughs> Steph Curry shoots 43% from three. And so, yeah, he gets to the benefit of volume, but he also shoots the three better than a lot of guys shot two for their careers. And so that is a huge, huge part of this. And, yeah, he's got years to go. He could tack on another 1,000 before he's done. And, you know, when you look at guys coming up, people say, oh, Trey Young. Well, Trey Young's shooting, like, I think 37%. <laughs> like, it's going to take a lot longer to try to catch Steph Curry if you're not shooting at least 40 or closer to Steph's 43 percent and and Steph he he he's told me this last night after the game I got him he said like that's what I pride myself on it the volume and the, the efficiency it's, it's both and I think that's the magical combination that makes him special that's the magical combination that got him the record and it's the magical combination that everybody else has to now try to replicate if they want to have any hope of catching him and I don't know that it's possible, even though we are now firmly in a three-point era that will not stop anytime soon, you have to have more than just a green light. You've got to be able to shoot it as accurately as he does, and that is the hard part.
0: You know, Howard, I heard somebody mention this the other day. And I- Quite honestly, I can't even remember who it was. I'd, I'd, I'd shout them out and give them credit if I remembered who the heck it was. But, and this is not meant to be any sort of criticism at all or any backhanded whatever towards LeBron James. Not in any way, shape, or form. But when we think about the influence on today's generation of basketball players and basketball fans, it maybe doesn't get talked about enough the fact that as great as LeBron was and still is and and put him down in the history and have the MJ versus LeBron debates, etc., you should be having that conversation with Steph Curry in that chat just as much because of the type of player he is, the impact he's had on his teams, on the league, and on the way the game is played. Because there are more people in the league currently, let alone young kids, that are mimicking or at least even able to mimic or attempt to mimic... What Steph is doing versus what LeBron is doing, they might not be able to be successful doing it, but they're going to look at it and say, "Well, I'm not six, eight, I'm not chiseled, you know, I, can't, I can't play five different positions, but man, maybe I can turn into a shooter, maybe I can knock it down from 25, 30 feet. Maybe I can be Steph Curry."
3: There is this sense, you know, that we as fans relate more to the smaller guys, right? Like you, you couldn't aspire to be Kareem or Shaq either, right? um yep. and and it's hard for anybody to envision themselves as LeBron James because he's built the way he's built he's he's just an, an impossible human being uh you can' you can't replicate that, but yeah, everybody could work on their shot right and everybody can fine tune and everybody can you know bas- shooting the basketball is the most basic thing that any of us ever do as as fans and as kids and as as you know amateur players or whatever. So it does feel like there's that relatability and accessibility, and that somehow Steph you know provides that model that everybody can relate to and I buy that, I also think it's absolutely stupidly ludicrously foolish because like Steph is athletic as heck compared to all of us average human beings, and Steph's shot is is absolute perfection compared to all of us anybody who would ever try no matter at what level to replicate like so on the one hand yes it, it, it his his size does not seem daunting, although even at whatever six three he's still taller than the average you know you know male walking the earth um he's more athletic and his his, his hand eye coordination and everything else is better than all of ours, so I think it's actually more of an illusion that he provides this this relatable model um but it's fine it gives people something that they can attach themselves to or relate to in a way that they obviously. Can't even delude themselves into thinking when it comes to a guy like LeBron James.
1: It's a great point about changing the way the game is played, and and I always think your impact—you have that impact—if you change the way the game's been played, force the game to, you know, adjust rules because of you, those kinds of things. Um, I, I I look at Steph, and there's a as you say, there's a whole era of kids now that are are playing differently, and. Not everybody can do it, and that, and that's, that's, that's the thing going forward and and it's not it's not a skill that or something like you said about like LeBron or Shaq or somebody like that that you can just, well, I'll do that because I'm that way. Not many people are physically built like that. I, I just wonder for me, I just wonder, where we're headed with this? Are we going to see you you made a comment about the NBA and the three point shot not going away? Is a pendulum ever going to swing back? Like are big men ever going to be valued even in a modicum of the way they were before?
3: Depends on the big man, but it's always dependent on the big man. Um, you know, uh, I started covering the league when you know you know Shaq was still early ish in his career, and at that time, you just had a lot of these really big, strong and skilled big men who were great in the post. Shaq and, and David Robinson and Alonzo Mourning and Akeem was still, you know, in his, in his later years and still still playing. All these guys, Patrick Ewing, and you know, even before the three point revolution comes along, the, the, we we had all these stories about though, the the big man's dying out, the center's dying out. Where are the greats? You know, where where's the next generation? And that's been asked, you know, perpetually actually for decades. Even in fact, including before Shaq got to the league, there was a a freak out in the late eighties about like, is the center dying? And then all of a sudden we ended up in the golden age of centers right after that. Um, so it's a perpetual kind of discussion, but I mean, listen, Joel Embiid is, it it would be great in any era and Jokic would be incredible in any era. And so, you know, and and Rudy Gobert, you know, maybe you want to put him more in the, like the Dikembe Mutombo column of, of centers or something. Um, We've we, you know there are guys who play the position in in various ways. We don't have a whole you know uh, a whole uh, a generation of, of them who are dominant scorers. But I don't think it's because of the way the game has changed. I just don't think that there are that many seven footers who have that skill set. If if, if if you know every team in the league, no matter how they're built or no matter how they want to be built or what their front office philosophy is, if they could get a Joel Embiid replica, they would. And granted, Joel Embiid also takes more threes than probably any seven-footer in history. Um, I, I haven't looked that up, but he does shoot a lot of them. Uh, but he is, you know, his, the, 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 the dominance of Joel Embiid is really about his play in the paint um, and the fact that he can put the ball on the floor and do other things. And then we have the fact that Kevin Durant and Giannis are essentially seven-footers who in another era probably would have been shoved in, 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 onto the low block, and their, their skills would have been wasted because we would have never known they had them because they would have been made to play like traditional seven-footers. So it's it's, it's a lot of things that contribute. But if anybody would take a Joel Embiid or Nikola Jokic, to be sure, there just aren't that many of those guys out there.
0: Howard, um, I'm going to completely, completely turn things for a second. We've only got a couple of minutes left with you, um, and we always appreciate your insight and your time. Howard Beck from Sports Illustrated. Um, Putting all of that aside... um, one of the main topics we were discussing earlier in the show as it related to the Raptors last night and the Brooklyn Nets with seven players... Uh, in health and safety protocols, the Raptors game tomorrow against the Bulls already postponed because of COVID. You know, just ravaging the Chicago Bulls. We're seeing numbers climbing and games being postponed in the National Hockey League, the NFL. I think it's 14 players now that the Cleveland Browns uh, are going to be missing due to COVID. It's clear that it's you know the the Omicron variant and whatnot is just ravaging pro sports, let alone everyday life for all of us right now. Do we get to a point in a week? A couple of weeks before the new year, a month, at any point, is the league going to hit the pause button, or do you think that the NBA keeps trying to plow
3: through? Well, I, I don't pretend to know how Adam Silver is viewing this, but look, a year ago at this time was when we were in the in the darkest days of the pandemic, right? No vaccine that was widely available as of yet, and we get into January of of this past calendar year, And, you know, the league was just wrecked for a couple, you know, the the Washington Wizards couldn't play or practice for two weeks Um, and games were being postponed left and right. And they never did pause the season then. And they they actually had more freedom to do so, more uh, flexibility to do so because arenas were not completely booked up again yet. We weren't back to concerts and circuses and all the other things that go on. So they could have more easily rescheduled. It's hard to do that now. Um, I mean, uh, you know, these arenas are back to, I would think, pretty close to 100% booking um, or at least much, much higher than they were last season. So I don't know how you do that. If you pause it, you're you're basically going to just say, okay, we're not going to do an 82-game season for the third straight season. Uh, so I don't see that happening, and I think they will manage and muddle through as well as they can. And you, you do it case-by-case case. if you've got, a, you know, Postpone a couple of games as they did with the bulls this week and they have to do that with a couple other teams maybe they do i guess it also just depends on how bad this gets i will say real quickly the good news is because 97 percent of the league according to the league is vaccinated you know a lot of these guys are probably asymptomatic or they've got very mild symptoms in which case they're also less contagious and the whole point of of you know, trying to, to contain this pandemic and get things under control and operate as normally as possible, which is what the NBA is trying to do, is make sure that nobody's health is in serious danger, either in the short term or in the long term, because we know there are effects of long COVID, and that you're not infecting anybody else who's more vulnerable than you are. And by the players mostly being vaccinated, we at least have the security of knowing that with the league being as conservative as they are and pausing when they have to, postponing when they have to, quarantining guys even if they're asymptomatic, They're doing everything they can to at least be responsible and contain this thing.
0: Howard, appreciate the time. As always, thanks for joining us today.
3: Always a pleasure, fellas. Thanks. Thanks, Howard.
0: There is Howard Beck, senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated. Um, We're going to continue talking about shooting with one of the great shooters in Raptors history. He was here in a Raptor uniform on two separate occasions. T for three. Tracy Murray next on Smith & Jones. Back on Smith & Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Raptors coming off last last night in the uh, overtime session to the Brooklyn Nets and uh, just down the road at MSG, Steph Curry hitting the all-time mark for three-pointers, and he's just going to keep going and keep adding to that total. And we've been talking a lot about Steph and shooting and, and throwing out some of the all-time greats and the purest shooters and whatnot. And when you think about great shooters and Raptors history as well, this guy had two separate tours of duty with the Raptors, former shooting guard forward, NBA champion as well with the Rockets. And we always love chatting with Tracy Murray. Tracy, thanks for the time today.
4: Well, thanks for having me on.
1: Good to, good to have you on, Tracy. Uh, I think the last time I saw you, you and I were having a conversation at... Uh, at Thomas and Mack in Vegas about the way the game is the way the game has changed and I just think of a guy like yourself who in this era with the three point shot being not as as our man Howard Beck described it as a as a last minute uh bailout cuz that's what it was back in your day or or a bit of a gimmick uh what what kind of an impact some of the guys from your generation might have had in this era, had the three-point shot been featured as much?
4: Well, I'll tell you what, there are a lot of us that were, you know, considered average players in the league that probably would have been superstars. You're talking Dennis Scott, uh, uh, Glenn Rice, uh, Dale Curry, myself, a bunch of others that can really shoot the ball. I mean, it, I, I'm talking about, you know, they shoot it from just as much distance. Where do you think Steph got it from? He got it from his dad, you know? So. Reggie Miller would have taken the three-point thing and just just put it out of this atmosphere. Um, you know, it was, it was great. I mean, shoot, Larry Bird, I mean, I came in when he left. If it was in when he was in, he might have put it out of the atmosphere. You never know
0: Speaking with Tracy Murray and Tracy, we're going to try and get you hooked up on a better line right now. I think we've got a bad connection right now. So, Jones, we're going to reconnect with Tracy and hope to get a, okay. a cleaner, clearer line. Because uh, I, I assume for, for folks listening, that might have been a struggle to hear because it was for me. I was cranking up my headset. So sometimes technology gets in the way. We'll, we'll reconnect with Tracy in a second um i I still remember you know back in the day with with him with those two different tours of duty jonesy and 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 t for three here and Herbie coon shouting him out and you're right man if he was playing in today's day and age uh sky's the limit in terms of guys like tracy and so many others that would be marksmen with the way that the game is played and even called and, and, and run in today's generation
1: well he's one of the guys you know we said that we'd like to get some of the uh players of a of a past era on and ask about their shooters. I know he just alluded to Larry Bird. Uh I I I do want to ask Tracy and you know Tracy had always been like that when he came up uh when he came up to Toronto in uh let me get my my timeline, my chronology straight here. When he came up to Toronto in 1991 on the United States Men's Pan Pan Am team and they were full of great players like Terry DeHair, Tom Gugliotta, Tracy Murray, like they, and, and Tracy was a, a kind of mid-sized to bigger type guy, but he had a touch from the outside and people would say, why doesn't he play closer to the basket? And I'm saying like, and the, and the three point shot was just kind of becoming something then, um, you know, I, I often think, and Tracy had such a great shooting stroke. I mean, we were in L.A. watching him when he was an assistant coach with the Lakers shoot with guys, and I'm sure he was taking some of the money from the rookies when they were doing shooting games. But <laughs> I'd like to know when he gets back, who are some of the best shooters that he's ever seen?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's – it's, I, I, I what I'm interested in to that point then is if he mentions a name that we didn't. Because, again, we, we joke about the fact that we threw out – at least 50 if not more and if he comes up with a name or or mentions one that we did not come up with that to me is going to be intriguing because there's got to be somebody that we forgot or 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 somebody even if they didn't make the pros maybe somebody that you know at the college level or whatever so i'll I'll let you take it away jonesy because i know you were in the midst of trying to break that down with tracy
1: tracy um talk talk to me about give me a list of guys and we we went through our top five all-time shooters with alvin williams and we didn't stop at five. I think we got to about 55. But give me some guys that you watched uh, that you could, you, you say, you shake your head and say, yo, man, that, that boy can shoot it.
4: Well, I mean, when you were a fan, you know, I was a fan first, like everybody else. And when you watch people and then you actually get in the gym with them, you realize they shoot better than, than you know, on TV. And, you know, Terry Porter was one of those guys that I played with early that can really shoot the heck out of the basketball Uh, with either hand. I thought I was the one. I thought I I had the the one-trick pony thing going where I could shoot with both hands from three. Terry Porter was one of them that could do it, too. Um, People don't give Rashid Wallace. He was 6'11". You know, he can shoot the ball really well. You know, underrated three-point shooter um, with range because of he was so great doing other things you wouldn't think of him as a shooter i mean we know the obvious we know dale reggie glenn rice um you know we know the obvious uh dale ellis um there there was tons man there there was tons i I think back then when when i played i I hate saying that because you know it makes it seem like you're putting today's kid down which i'm not uh, I respect today's kid and, 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 and what they have to do to adjust to the game. Um, but but back then, I think you had to guard everybody um, 15 to 18 because if you left them, they'll knock you down. Um, I think that's what everybody was working on back then. I mean, three-point shots, I mean, the most that you can really take during the game was probably, you know, three to five, if that. And, and that's when I was coming in. It was probably less when I played. I mean, before I played. Um, but now, I mean, you can launch ten to fifteen three-point shots now if you got a good look at it. And, and I think with with everybody I named, it, and then there are some that 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 I'm not thinking of right now. Um, but imagine Damon Stoudemire being able to launch fifteen threes if he wanted to. I mean, he would he would have had something to say about that too.
0: Hmm. You know, Tracy, some folks might not know this, at least in, in this area, and you can you can kind of clean up the details for me if I'm a, a little bit wrong, but you did a ton of work one-on-one for a number of years with one of the all-time greats in history, period, in Kobe Bryant. How do you as a coach help a great become greater and, and hone those specific details because it's one thing to say hey turn that guy as a terrible shooter into a better shooter work on his mechanics work on this make him better how do you make somebody that's already great greater
4: well that that one year we did spend a, you know quite a bit of time in the gym when especially games that he was going to play we would go over a lot earlier and, and really get shots up i mean i'm talking about when the arena was dark we'll be in there um, but but you know, with Kobe, it's like it's just little itty bitty things. Because um, he already could shoot the bone. He, he's going to get a lot of shots. Even if he start off cold, he's going to get warm. You know, he'll find his release point. It's about release point and making sure you square it up and, and having the proper arch. And and um, Kobe, with Kobe, he jumped so high in his jump shot that his shot was really flat. So when you're injured, your shot is flatter and you end up shorter. So, with him, it was just more or less getting the ball with a, a better arc, get it up in the air a little bit more. And then, you know, he found because as you, as you get injured and as you get older, your vertical drops. And when it drops, you have to find a different release point on your jump shot. So, it was just about finding his release point.
1: Hey, Tracy, has the coaching of shooting become better in this era because of the emphasis on well and let me let me rephrase my question: How much better has it become? Um, because I know look, I used to sit on the plane and talk with you guys and 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 watching you shoot and be able to stand beside you when you 're shooting and the, the 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 little details that people don 't understand that shooters pay attention to, like Dirk always talked about you know they had the Novitsky v the two fingers the, the index finger and the middle finger. You know, he he was always big on that, and 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 you you're talking about release point and all of the little things that go into shooting, the finer points. I'm I'm suspecting that it's becoming, they're becoming bigger details now, as opposed to when you guys were were playing because, you know, some of it was just hey, get the ball to the big guy and get out of the way. I
4: don't think the details of shooting is any different. Because we're, we were all taught the same way how to shoot the basketball. It's just a matter of making sure all of those details are all in, in sync when you let the ball go. I mean, your elbow to. I don't care if you shoot off balance. I don't care if you shoot fadeaways, one-foot leaner, step-backs, uh, leaning backwards. If your elbow is pointed towards the rim and you got enough leg into it, enough power, and you got enough parts on it, it has a shot, it has a chance of going. So you, you have to be able to um, just make sure that you're going over a
0: checklist in your mind
4: of what you have to do and, and, and how you, how you got to release it.
0: Speaking with former Raptor NBA champion Tracy Murray. Tracy, everything we're talking about here, about the technique and, and, and trying to coach and, 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 and teach. Can you teach somebody? like Listen and, and be clear. I'm not talking. Can you teach somebody to become Steph Curry? A lot of that is some God-given talent, let alone the hard work. But could you? If I if I took you right now and and brought you into a gym, and you just took a, an average person, or or even even a even a, a high schooler, or 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 somebody that's at a D3 school or something, how much of an impression, how much of a difference can you make with a guy in terms of Honing that skill specifically, making them significantly better. Because we often talk in sports, Tracy, you know this as a as just a fan of sports in general. How much is God-given talent? How much of it is the work? How much of it is a combination? How much of it is just what the will is inside you as opposed to the skill that's developed? What do you think?
4: Once you have the proper technique, it's all about putting in the work. Because you've got to find your shot after that. And the only way by finding your shot is repetition. If you don't get thousands and thousands of shots up per day, how are you going to know your shot? How are you going to know how to adjust it when it's long, short, left, or right? You've got to know your shot backwards and forwards. And there, there's no substitute. As Carlos Rogers used to say in our huddle, there's no substitute for hard work. You have to put in the work, the time, the repetition. Um if you want in, you can, like Julius Randle, for example. Julius couldn't shoot. I mean, we all know that. Coming in, he was a bull in the China shop. He put his head down. He'll run you over and get to the basket. But now he's knocking down three-point shots. Now, I didn't get a chance to really sink my teeth into his shot. But one thing I told him to do is slow his feet down. So now if you watch him shoot, even in New York, this is years later, he knows he's fast enough to get by the defenders. Watch his feet. I said, be like Sam Perkins. Sam Perkins doesn't rush his shot, especially from three-point line. And and, and that was the adjustment that we made when when I was with the Lakers, and he shot the ball a lot better. Uh, Larry Nance shot the ball a lot better working on him. It was just his balance. He was leaning forward a little bit too much. You want him to go straight up, straight down, don't lean forward so much to throw his balance short. Um, I can go down the list. I saw Mitchell Butler go from being, um, and he was my college roommate, played in the league for nine years. I saw him go from just being a great athlete to being able, you know, in the NBA to knock down three-point shots on a consistent basis. It's about to work.
0: Tracy, love you breaking it down for us today. Great catching up with you, man. All the best to you for the holiday season and look forward to speaking with you at some point in the new year.
4: Well, happy holidays, and and uh, uh, John, don't forget to tell them about the, the Curry brothers sitting behind the bench during the game. That's how close <laughs> they were to us every game.
1: Yeah, that that's when yes, they, they that's care. when they actually came down to to to, to and stop shooting in the practice facility.
4: <laughs> yeah, absolutely, they were putting in that work even during our game.
0: Hey Tracy, all the best. Thanks again.
4: All the all the best.
1: Thanks Tracy.
0: There's Tracy Murray, uh, former Toronto Raptor, again, on two separate occasions, long-time NBA or an NBA champ with the Rockets as well. Uh, unfortunately, we couldn't find a, a clear line. We tried reconnecting. I'm not sure, uh, not sure what was up with Tracy's line, Jonesy. Too bad we couldn't hear him a little bit better because he certainly clearly – Had some uh, significant and some great insight there, Uh, again, going back to his time working one-on-one with Kobe and and so many others that he played with and against over the years. So hopefully, folks, you were still able to make that as clear as possible. We were trying to crank up the levels for you so that you could hear Tracy as best as possible. But, um, man, it's like a trip down memory lane listening to some of these old names being shouted out and, and just thinking about the impact that so many different guys have had on the league and the growth of so many players, the influence on so many players that are still going at a high rate in today's game.
1: You know, when I talked about uh, you start playing that religious defense, like, oh, God, don't let that go in when the guy has an open shot. You're a Laker fan. You are a Laker fan, and you will remember this. And it's uh, memories indelibly etched in my mind. When Magic Johnson made the hook shot in 87 over Mikhail Bird, and Parrish. Mm -hmm. What people forget is Larry Bird v-cut up the lane and caught the ball over his shoulder in the left corner. They were going left to right in the left corner, right in front of the Lakers bench, and had a wide-open practice shot three to win that game back. And he missed the shot, and he looked at Pat Riley... And they locked eyes for a minute, that as as legend has it, they locked eyes for a minute minute. And as Riley put his arms up and was dancing off the floor, because that was the call by Dick Stockton, the Lakers to dance off the floor. Larry Bird he 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 thought, I can't believe they actually left me open and I missed that. <laughs> like that yes. and, and, and again, the shooters, right? You just you just pray, you get to the point where You've made a mistake, and you just have to pray and hope the guy misses. And that's where the phrase comes from, a make-or-miss league.
0: Well, and that's why how often do we both say on our broadcasts, when I mean, you leave a shooter, any shooter, anybody wide open, you dodged a bullet. I mean, you really did. You can't say that was strategy. You leave a guy wide open and he misses, you dodged it. They, they just missed, period. Yeah. Oh, man, this one flew by today, folks. Uh, Solid show, solid show. As always, of course, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Tell friends, tell family. Subscribe, rate, review, Smith & Jones, wherever you get your podcast. We'll be back again on Thursday.